0: Our scripture reading this morning begins in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7, we'll read verses 1 through 12. That will also be uh, the text that we'll be giving our special attention to. Ecclesiastes 7, beginning in verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So far, the reading uh, from Ecclesiastes. Now we'll turn to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, just reading a couple of verses from there. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Then finally, we'll turn to the letter to the Romans, Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. Romans 6, beginning in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, So far, the reading from the Word of God. As mentioned, the text that we'll be focusing on is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the verses 1 through 12. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come now to chapter 7 in Ecclesiastes, you'll notice, and you can even see it in the way that the English text is written out, you notice the preacher switches gears in his style. Uh, up till now he 's been building an argument piece by piece it 's what uh, in the world of literature you would call prose uh, it 's clearly laid out uh, in in the form of an argument. But now, in chapter seven he he pauses the argument and he switches to speaking in proverbs this This looks a lot like what you would find in the book of proverbs now This is going to present a, a particular challenge. Uh, for us as a congregation and for myself as a preacher. Now, the nature of Proverbs is that Proverbs require careful time and reflection. You want to read each proverb one by one, stop, reflect, think about what it means, ponder uh, what, what uh, its significance. Proverbs are meant to be uh, digested, meditated upon, reflected on. Uh, and also, by design... Proverbs don't have a, a clear, logical progression. Uh, they come at you more staccato fashion, uh, one by one by one, and, and you don't necessarily know what's the connection between this proverb and the one that comes after it. Uh, and that can also often be frustrating for us when we're reading Proverbs, even in our own devotional time, uh, because it seems like the subject is always changing. You know, If we had written Proverbs, we wouldn't have written it this way. Uh, we would have gathered them into nice, neat, at categories, you know, all the proverbs about money here, all the proverbs about work here, the proverbs about women here, and and friendship here, and, and so on, uh, and so forth, uh, and we'd we'd make it clear how all of these connect together, but that's not how proverbs are organized, and that is on purpose. Uh, proverbs, and that's true whether it's the Book of Proverbs or proverbs like you find here in Ecclesiastes, proverbs are designed. To imitate real life, where wisdom does not come at us in a complete, organized instruction manual for life, but rather wisdom comes at us from all sorts of different angles in the different moments of life. You get a life lesson about money, and then the next day, a life lesson about friendship, uh, and then a life lesson about anger and the damage that anger does. Uh, And wisdom, wisdom in life comes in these little moments uh, of of lessons that come to us uh, over the course of life. Uh, And just like the Proverbs, if you want to gain fruit from those lessons, from those moments of life, the lessons contained therein, they need to be pondered. They need to be meditated on. They need to be thought through as you go through the moments of life. you, you, You need to stop and reflect. What have I learned from this, otherwise I will not learn from this. Uh, to put it another way, we sometimes use the, the expression, uh, you, you miss the, for- you miss the uh, forest for the trees. I'm sure you've heard that expression. And what it means is you're focused so much on the individual trees that you haven't discerned the larger picture. You haven't discerned uh, the, the larger patterns. And that's always very important that we uh, learn to, to take a step back to discern what are the larger patterns, whether it be in my life, whether it be in our culture, uh, whether it be over the course of history. You you don't want to miss the forest for the trees. But at the same time, we also want to make sure that we don't miss the trees for the forest. That is, that that all we've done is stood back from a 1,000 meters away and looked at the overall patterns, but we haven't acquainted ourselves with the little instances, the little moments that make up those those larger patterns. Uh, So you can can read Proverbs uh, very quickly, skimming over the surface, and you will discern that God, for example, blesses the righteous. You will discern that, that cheaters never prosper. Some of these big picture lessons. But you haven't acquainted yourself with all of the individual instances that lead to those conclusions. Well, the point of Proverbs then is to ensure that we do both that we, we have a, a discernment of the larger picture, the bigger patterns, but also that we get acquainted with the individual trees. Uh, we gain a, a deeper acquaintance with the forest that's not just a, a theoretical from a distance sort of acquaintance, uh, but, but one that is more personal. We're, we've walked through this forest. You know, We're familiar with the, the smells of, of the trees, uh, the textures. It's, it's entered into us in a way that uh, we, can, we can never appreciate by examining life from a distance. And that's what's going on here then in uh, Ecclesiastes, in this chapter. Uh, So far, Ecclesiastes has really been focused on the big picture, giving us a big picture, bird's eye view of of life. But now the preacher would also like for us to get acquainted with some of the practical details of life uh, with the intention that we would spend some time stopping, pondering, meditating on these details. That's going to change then how also we, we preach on this text. It's not going to work for me to just give you a theme and then work it out logically in three neat points. Uh, instead, uh, what I've done is uh, I've given you a theme and, and we can actually summarize it well under seven points. I'll give them to you one by one as we uh, work our way through, through the text. Uh, and then what we want to do is at the end of, of that, we want to stop and, and look back on what have we learned taking these, these points together. Now There is one overarching theme. Perhaps you saw it. I, I, you see it as well in the uh, other readings that we uh, appended to this text. Uh, the theme of endings. You see this theme really throughout verses 1 to 12, this theme of ending where each of these verses in some form or another relates to this larger theme concept of endings and that's where we get the theme that you see in the liturgy sheet taking life seriously keeping the end in mind that's really what this chapter is about number one then in the end character matters more than wealth as our first point character matters more than wealth uh, solomon reminds us that as we think about what matters most in the end character matters more than capital Uh, ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death better than the day of birth i want to stop and think okay what do those two parts have to do with one another how is a a good name better than precious ointment and what does that have to do with the day of death being better than the day of birth well precious ointment or fine perfume is an indicator of wealth it's a luxury that's afforded only to the wealthy. Uh, probably as most women here know, you can spend just about as much money as you want on perfume, uh, and, and there will always be something more uh, uh, more expensive uh, and, and more uh, refined. Uh, now, whether you should or shouldn't be spending that kind of money on perfume is not the point here in uh, in this verse. Uh, you might substitute that as well if, you, if, you, if you're not one who buys perfume. Uh, you might substitute that for any other fine goods, fine cars, other fine luxuries. Uh, whether you should or shouldn't spend the money on those things is not the point here. The point is character matters a whole lot more than any fine goods or anything that money can buy. Character matters more. A good name is far better than the finest perfume if you smell really nice but everyone knows that your character stinks that's a pretty empty treasure well similarly then there's the first half of the verse similarly the preacher says the day of death is better or more important than the day of birth how you die matters a whole lot more than how you were born you might be born into wealth uh, and anointed on, on the day of your birth with fine perfume, or you might be born into poverty. But what matters a whole lot more than how you're born is who you are on the day that you die. You don't, you don't determine the person you're born as. That, that's largely given to you. Those are the cards that are handed to you. But you do determine the person you are on the day you die. What kind of character are you? the man or woman that you are, uh, is not really known on the day of your birth. It will be known on the day of your death. And we can, if we think about that, we can understand how these two things fit side by side. A good name matters more than fine ointment, and the day of one's death is more important than the day of one's birth. Character matters. Legacy matters. Uh, integrity over the course of your life matters. The stuff that you possess or the privilege that you're born into really does not matter uh, all that much. On the day of your death, what will matter is the person you are, the name that you possess, the legacy that you leave behind. So already in in, in verse 1, the preacher has us thinking about endings. Uh, And we're we're contrasting endings here with beginnings. Uh, The preacher is setting before us the destination to which... We are headed, uh, and he's commending to us the value of thinking about that destination now. Don't just think about the day of your death once you get there. Think about it beforehand. Uh, Just like when you use a GPS, as some of you either have recently done or will soon be doing if you're traveling uh, abroad, what do you do when you you use a GPS? You start with the ending in mind. You plug in the address that you're headed towards. Uh, and and, and then you go from there. Well, the preacher is urging us to do that with your life. You know the ending to which your life is headed. You're you're headed towards the day of your death. Well, what kind of day do you want that to be? Uh, Who do you want to be on that day? Start with the end in mind and work backwards from there. That's a question then that you need to start asking uh, long before you get there Uh, because who you are then will be determined by how you live now and for the rest of your years a good name is not built overnight you don't get to build a a good reputation for yourself on the day of your death you have to build it before the day of your death it's built one day at a time over a lifetime secondly then related to this The preacher commends to us the value of of spending time in the house of mourning. So here's our second point. Ponder the ending that we all must face. Ponder the ending we all must face. Uh, This is verse 2. He says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. This is kind of surprising, though that the preacher would tell us this. after all, up till this point, the preacher has been telling us that there's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to enjoy his toil. And yet, yet now he's saying, actually, it is better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. So here we want to recognize something about wisdom and especially what wisdom looks like in practice. Wisdom knows how to hold on to one thing without letting go of the other. Hold on to one thing, without letting go of the other. There's a kind of foolishness, and you see it in this world, a kind of foolishness that only spends time in the house of mourning. It doesn't dare to go beyond there. It spends its entire life lamenting and resenting and complaining about the fact that life is short and we don't possess everything we want in this life. Well, that kind of Foolishness is unwilling to live because he knows he's willing, or because he knows he's going to have to die. The problem with that fool is that fool desires to be God. He's not content to live in God's world and, particularly, under the curse that God has placed upon mankind. And so, because he's unwilling to, to, to die, he refuses to live. Uh, he wastes his life lamenting the fact that he doesn't get to keep it. And just like if you remember the man in the parable that Jesus told, the parable of the talents, this is the fool who buries his life in the dirt, saying, God's a hard master, and he's going to require it back from me, and I, and I resent that fact, and so I'm not going to do a thing with this life. I'm going to bury it in the dirt, uh, and when it's all over, I'll just give it back to God. Uh, that, that's a particular kind of fool. Uh, and, and it's really a special form of rebellion against God because God gave you this life to spend it, to live it. Uh, that's what uh, the preacher's been encouraging us to do. Eat, drink, rejoice in your toil. Live your life. Don't resent the fact that you'll have to die and as a result uh, fail to live your your life. God's not going to remove the curse. Uh, that's what he's been saying from the beginning. What's what's crooked is not going to be straightened until the day when God straightens it in the end. Uh, So stop fighting God. Uh, As the Lord Jesus taught us elsewhere, uh, who of us by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Well, you can't. Uh, You can't slow down time. You can't keep your life here. Only God can keep it for you. So live it. But that being said, now the preacher takes us to the other side where he says, also, don't be the kind of fool that never thinks about the fact that you're going to die. That man's a fool as well. He never attends funerals. He never goes to the house of mourning uh, because he's too busy partying and having a good time. That's a fool. Uh, it's a foolish way of living. Uh, when, his com- when his time comes to die, he is going to be utterly unprepared for that hour, and worst of all, unprepared to meet his God. Don't be that fool either. Do spend time in the house of mourning. Do walk through cemeteries from time to time. If you haven't done that in a while, uh, maybe do that this afternoon. Walk through a cemetery and ponder the ending that we are all going to face. It does good for your soul. There's nothing like facing the reality of death, uh, the ending that we all have to face uh, to make us think seriously about preparing to meet our God. So it's good to spend time in the house of mourning since that is where you're going. Take that to heart now while you're still alive uh, so that you can, in the words of Psalm 90, uh, number your days with a heart of wisdom uh, and then live purposefully uh, and live wisely under the favor and love of God. So spend time in the house of mourning. Number three, be willing to lament. Be willing to lament. That's verses three and four. Uh, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness, the f- by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Again, another uh, surprising thing for the preacher to be telling us if we thought that all he was advocating was just a carefree life. Eat, drink, rejoice, and forget about all your troubles. Uh, If that's what we think he's been saying, this will come to us as a surprise. But what we see if we hold this together with what he said before is the preacher is advocating a wise life. Do eat. Do drink, do rejoice in all the days God has given you, but don't be unwilling to lament in the proper season uh, for lamenting. Uh, one of the attributes of the wise is the wise know how and when to lament. See, fools fools don't know how to lament or grieve. Uh, it's not that they don't know grief. They do. Every one of us does as we live in a broken world. Uh, we all experience pain and sorrow Uh, But the the fool lacks the wisdom to deal with that grief. Uh, And and so instead, he looks for distractions. Uh, He he parties. He he drinks. uh, He does drugs. And and he pretends like everything is just uh, hunky-dory in what is really a broken life. His happy face is a thin covering over a sad and broken heart. A heart that's full of fear and anger uh, and and sadness uh, and bitterness against God. Uh, This kind of uh, fool's laughter, the preacher says, uh, is like the crackling of thorns in a fire. It's empty noise. It doesn't mean anything. But the wise learn to lament. Uh, In this life, you're going to have moments where you ought to grieve. You ought to lament. Under the curse, we experience grief. We experience loss. We experience disappointment. Uh, Not only that, but we're sinned against by others. And if we're honest, we sin against others. So learn to lament. You should lament these things. Uh, The wise know how to access more than just one emotion, that superficial happiness, and to dig deeper uh, and to lament, uh, to grieve at the proper time. Uh, one practical outworking of this is the wise also know how to share their grief. They don't just lament and grieve by themselves. They know how to share their grief. Uh, our culture makes this very hard to do uh, because the expectation in our culture is that you're supposed to, to, to celebrate your wins publicly uh, and, and to deal with your losses and your griefs privately. Well, the wise know, no, God has made us to live together. We, we rejoice together. And we also weep together. We're not meant to suffer alone. We share our grief. Uh, The wise know how to ask for prayers and to ask for help. Uh, And because the wise know how to suffer, that also means that they're able to be good friends to those who are suffering. Uh, Particularly in our culture where you're expected to keep your sorrows to yourself, uh, fools, fools make for very unhelpful friends. Uh, they don't want to hear about your griefs they don't want to hear about your troubles Uh, they don't want to hear about your pain Uh, fools don't show up when there's a miscarriage Uh, they don't show up when a spouse passes away they don't want to talk about a lost child or a wayward child Uh, for the fool it's always just a good time a wise friend knows how to rejoice but also to grieve to talk about the hard things. Uh, in the words of James, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And, and the effect of that, uh, when, when, when the wise do that together, we help each other remember also our joy in the midst of our grief because this life is a constant mix of joy and grief. Now, we remember our joy and not just the, the, the superficial happiness that we sometimes slap onto our grief, uh, like a sort of thin veneer uh, that, that covers our grief, but rather the deeper joy that coexists with grief and even, uh, in the words of Peter, outweighs our, our grief. Uh, it, it, is, it is a glory that is greater than our sorrows. Uh, by sadness of face, so the, the preacher says, by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. When we're willing to be, to be sad because we are sad, we access also the deeper joys that also live within us. You can contrast that with uh, uh, Proverbs 14, verse 13 uh, that, that tells the opposite side uh, that says, Even in laughter, the heart might be aching and the end of joy might be grief. Uh, the fool who, who has a sad heart but refuses to admit it uh, well, might have a laughing face, uh, but, but the end of it all will still be grief. If your face is lying, Your heart is going to be heavy. Uh, Avoiding grief will only lead to more grief. Learn to lament. Uh, You notice scripture actually devotes a great deal of space to to this idea of lamenting. The single largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms are, are the laments. And they're given to us to teach us how to grieve, how to pour out our hearts before God in the proper time. Uh, lamenting is how we transfer the burden of our pain onto the God who cares for us. First Peter 5, uh, verse 7, Cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Don't pretend like you don't have anxieties to cast upon Him. You think of the Lord Jesus here as well, right? The Lord Jesus, the wisest man ever to have walked this earth, He knew how to lament. It's what Isaiah said about Him. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, and yet he embraced uh, his, his calling uh, to, to even die for, for the human race. And he did so, says Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him. Here's a man who carried joy as he walked a life full of grief. Uh, and that is the Christian life. So learn to lament. Learn to pour out your lament before God. Uh, a man who learns to mourn is also going to know the meaning of deep laughter, and joy uh, that outweighs the the grief. Number four, watch out for snares. Watch out for snares. Uh, As we keep the ending in mind, the preacher warns us to watch out for snares that pop up along the way. He says, surely oppression, uh, and another way to translate that might be perversion of justice. Uh, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. As you walk the journey of life, watch out for snares that lead to very different endings. In scripture and in life, the list is long of those who started out very well, but finished their life disastrously because their heart was somewhere along the way ensnared. A bribe corrupts the heart, he says. Just because uh, you you may have started with good intentions does not mean uh, that you will finish well if you are ensnared Along the way, watch out for bribes. Now, snares can come in all sorts of forms. Uh, there are bribes, which he mentions here. These are financial snares, uh, and and they can be either outright bribes, sort of like someone giving money to a judge or a police officer, uh, just outright bribes. Or they can they can be more subtle bribes. Uh, powerful people pulling the purse strings that pay your wages. Uh, the list is long of schools and colleges and seminaries that started out well but somewhere along the way accepted financial support when they shouldn't have uh, and now uh, they are unrecognizable from the institutions they once used to be. Watch out for snares along the way. Uh, the ending matters more than the beginning. Uh, watch out for shortcuts that turn out to be dead ends. And uh, What snares then lay in your path? What snares perhaps have you already fallen into? Scripture has a lot to say about snares. Uh, And the one resounding theme, as as you ponder all that Scripture says about snares, there's one resounding theme, and that is only the Lord can keep a person from being ensnared. It's the fear of the Lord that protects one from snares. Proverbs 14, verse 27. And it is the Lord who also rescues us from snares. You think of Psalm 124. If the Lord was not on our side, we would have fallen into the fowler's snare. Uh, the crooked of heart have a thousand snares in their path. Proverbs 22, verse 5. Uh, and the fear of man is also a, a snare. Proverbs 29, verse 25. But it is the Lord who delivers from every snare. Now you notice that later in this chapter as well, if you uh, peek ahead to verse 26. Uh, Look at what the preacher says there. He says, I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Brethren and sisters, what snares lie in your path? Uh, Are you aware of them? And have you brought them before God? Number five, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. This is sort of similar to what uh, the the preacher was saying in verses 1 and 2, that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Uh, But here, the the principles applied more broadly. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. It's easy to start well. It's much harder to finish well. Uh, Likewise, he says, The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The proud in spirit uh, will start well, but not necessarily finish well. The patient in spirit will finish well. It's very easy to boast about all the things that you're going to do. Uh, It's much harder to do it. Uh, Everyone knows the the, the novice soldier who goes out into the battlefield never having seen warfare before, uh, uh, boasting to all his buddies about all the the enemies that he's going to kill. And then once the battle actually comes, he spends the entire battle quivering in a hole somewhere, crying out for his mommy. Uh, Don't be that soldier in the course of your life. Prioritize the ending. It's good to begin well, but it's more important to end well. I think of how much time and money, for example, we spend on weddings, uh, celebrating weddings, and how few of those weddings actually last. Well, the last day of your marriage matters a whole lot more than the first day. Uh, Prioritize the ending. Cultivate the patience of spirit that endures to the end. It's very easy to boast at the beginning, and it's good. It's good to celebrate beginnings But a good celebration at the beginning uh, ought to be the sort that focuses on the ending. Good wedding vows are made with thought uh, and and with wisdom, and they end with the phrase, till death do us part. They they have the ending in mind, and they're committed to getting to that ending. Uh, Likewise, the preacher says, uh, Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Uh, Fools give no consideration to the journey that that they're on. They're not thinking about the ending that that they should be aiming for. uh, And so they become frustrated along the way when obstacles crop up uh, on their path. The wise, because they're fixated on the ending, have counted the cost uh, that will be along the way. They recognize obstacles are a feature in God's design. They're not a bug. Uh, It's not a mistake uh, on God's part. Uh, They recognize that just like the people of God in the wilderness as they were headed to the promised land, uh, we're being tested. Uh, We're being tested along the way. This is part of God's design. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." You have the ending in mind. Focus then on the ending. Right now your life is in the wilderness. That's true for all of us. Uh, We are in the wilderness headed towards the promised land. Expect there to be trials. Don't be surprised and don't get upset when those trials come. Uh, Receive the trials as coming from God since that's what they are and respond with patience rather than anger, keeping the end in mind. Number six, the end is in front of you, not behind you. The end is in front of you, not behind you. Uh, verse 10, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Uh, this, this might be a particular t- temptation to the elderly uh, because we, we tend to think back to the good old days uh, when the world was supposedly uh, a better place. Uh, We tend to look back with rose-colored glasses on the way that the world used to be. But scripture teaches us rather to look forward. Uh, Paradise is ahead of you, not behind you. There's a reason that God didn't freeze history in the 1950s. And at least part of the reason for that is the 1950s weren't as good as you remember them. Uh, It was, after all, the 1950s that produced the 1960s and 70s. We very easily forget the sin that existed then, though it may well have been uh, under the surface. Scripture teaches us, look forwards, not backward. Scripture teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, trusting that, that what God has prepared for the future is better than what we experienced in the past. God's purposes are ahead of you, not behind you. Uh, even if God's purposes take us through harder times still, we, we know that God does this with an ending in mind that is better than where we are now. Number seven, lastly, wisdom preserves unto the end. Wisdom preserves unto the end. Uh, in this life of, of sorrows and trials, we, we have all sorts of protections along the way, and that's what uh, these last verses uh, speak of. Uh, and one of those protections is money now money is a protection it is a shield money can save you from from some hard times those who have money are able to escape trials at least some trials when they come uh... you think of the the, uh how we've all dealt with the financial crisis as a result of the lockdowns. And here in Western countries, we've been able to endure this lockdown a whole lot better than than in the rest of the world where they didn't have savings. They don't have the ability to not work for for weeks or, in some cases, months in a row. Money can be a protection, and that's why many run to it. That's why many people pursue it. They put their trust in it. It's a certain kind of safety. But the preacher tells us wisdom is still better than the protection of money. Uh, While money can save you from many things, only wisdom can preserve your life to the end. Uh, A fool who has money may be able to use it to to save himself from some of the suffering that others endure. Uh, But because he doesn't have wisdom, it's not going to take him to the end of his life. Uh, There's no shortage of of wealthy people who've died precisely because of their wealth. At the end of the day, wisdom will always reap a better reward than money. Uh, The fool who has money is going to lose his money uh, one day or another. But wisdom will preserve a person right to the end of his life. Uh, The fool, if he's rich, because he's a fool, will still be ensnared along the way. The wise will preserve a straight course. So there it is, uh, seven uh, points, seven themes that, that have us thinking about the endings. What can we conclude then, looking back on, on these, uh, these points? Well, the first conclusion that we should draw is that wisdom, when taken seriously, must lead us to the throne of God. Wisdom leads us to the throne of God because that is the ending, the one ending that all of us will face. If we're thinking seriously about endings, uh, that's the ultimate one we're all headed towards, and it's more important than any other ending. So, brothers and sisters, have you spent sufficient time uh, in the house of mourning or in the local cemetery to ponder that ending that you're going to face? Do you live in the awareness that that day is coming, and how do you prepare yourself for that day? The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't give us all the answers to that question. It urges us to fear God, to trust God, uh, and and to keep his commandments and listen to his word. But when we consider God's word as a whole, God's word actually has a lot to say about endings. Uh, God, uh, in, in many other places in scripture, commends to us the value of pondering the endings that we're going to face. Uh, We read it from Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Do you see an ending there? Uh, And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Have you pondered the ending uh, of the road that you are walking down? Romans 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Or Philippians 3, verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Throughout His Word then, God calls us to ponder endings, uh, to reflect on the ending of our life and the ending of all things. Every life and every lifestyle has a certain ending to which it's headed. And this is where the gospel is so critical for us. As we ponder the end of, of things and the ending of our lives, uh, as well as the ending of history, then we discover our urgent need to be right with God on that day, on the day we stand before him, the end of our life on earth. The gospel is not going to matter to those who spend their life in the house of feasting. Uh, The years of feasting, though, they quickly hasten by until suddenly we find ourselves all too late, uh, about to be buried in the house of mourning and then under the judgment of God. The preacher is warning us now to take that day seriously. This is where truly all the money in the world will not offer you sufficient protection. Uh, wisdom, the kind that begins with the fear of the Lord, wisdom saves those who have it. Uh, Not because of their own worthiness, but because that wisdom uh, which God has given to them, uh, that wisdom has taught them from the beginning of their life to fear God until the end of their life. And so what they do, they flee to God for their refuge. Don't be the fool that lives only for today. Don't be the fool that lives for this moment. Don't be the fool who, who lives frivolously, making a mockery of God's warnings. Fear God today, take his word seriously today. Uh, And for those who do, you'll discover his word is filled with abundant grace and, and promises to carry you, that the God, as Psalm 121 says, the God who brought you into this world is the God who will carry you out of this world. He's with you in the beginning. He will be with you in the ending. He's with you when you come in. He's with you when you go out. Amen.